I asked Ron, whose fault is it that I'm preaching on the book of the Song of Solomon? And he said, that was yours. You know, we decided that we really wanted to go through the whole story of the Bible and not leave anything out and preach hard topics. And um, I hate that I decided to do that uh, in a way, but in another way, I'm so glad. So today, we are in the book of Song of Solomon. If you don't know much about the Bible, you don't know much about Song of Solomon, it's this story of um, a man and a woman who want to be with each other very badly in every way you can imagine. Um, it's this book that kind of, um, it's really love poetry, so it's kind of hard to understand what's being talked about. And he'll speak, and she'll speak, and back and forth, and then other people will speak. And, uh, but really what it is, is this guy and this girl that really want to be with each other. Um, people say there's two different ways you can interpret the text. It's truly just a man and a woman that want each other, or you can view it as Christ and the church. And so um, we've been in Song of Solomon. We were in there last week, and we basically said that it starts off, and, and you, you see this couple that are kind of dating. And so we said last week, we kind of went through what their dating relationship looked like. So the whole book kind of goes from them dating into um, their marriage, which is what we talked about last week. This week, um, it really talks about their first night together, just to be blunt. That's what this is about. And then it goes on, and it really is post-honeymoon and on. And so if you were here last week, we talked about dating. We talked about what we can learn from the Song of Solomon about dating and about a wedding. And then this week, we're going to really talk about that first night for them together. Next week, we're going to have a parking lot party. And then the following week, we will wrap up the book kind of post-honeymoon and on um, and see what it is that God wants to teach us through that. And so um, that's kind of where we are today is is we're really talking about their wedding. Um, That has happened. And now we're talking about their um, honeymoon, their first night of the honeymoon. So, um, we said last week, this book, it's, it's in the wisdom literature section of the Old Testament, and so what is the wisdom we can get from this book? And really, um, I would say this book gives us wisdom on a couple things. One, on dating, on marriage, on sex, on sexuality, um, and there's another thing that we'll talk about at the end. So, that is um, where we're headed. So, last week, what did we talk about last week? We talked about that their dating relationship um, seems so profoundly different than what we're used to seeing. Maybe even than what we ourselves have experienced. Their dating relationship was not focused on outer beauty, but it was focused on inner beauty. It wasn't focused on lust, but it was focused on love. It wasn't casual, but it was exclusive. It wasn't um, fake. It was real. It wasn't um, shallow. It was deep. And the biggest thing that was different about their relationship versus most relationships that we probably see in our culture, maybe even relationships that we've experienced, is they waited to have sex until they were married. And so here's this couple. As last week ends, he's leaving his chambers, okay? He's coming down to, to the front of the church, so to speak, to be ready to receive his wife in marriage. And so he's, he's coming down on this couch. He's been brought down. Um, and he, the, the couch is like purple, and it's got gold and silver, and, and it's just this awesome thing. Well, he comes down, and really what that's showing us is that he is ready to, to show this woman that he loves her. He's ready to protect her. He's ready to, to honor her, to cherish her, to show her that she is valuable to him. That's where we ended last week, okay? So they say their I do's, and they head to the hotel room.
So he heads to the hotel room. I don't know if they actually had hotel rooms. I don't know where they went, but, they, but we're going to call it their hotel room. And so this couple, they just got married. They have not had sex. And now they are headed to their hotel room. <laughs> okay. It seems shocking to us that this is the Bible. It seems shocking to us that this is in the Bible. But I don't think that it should seem shocking to us that it's in the Bible. I think, and the reason why it's kind of shocking to us that this is in the Bible, or it feels like it's shocking, is because we kind of feel like we, as people, created sex. Like, yeah, God might have made it, but we kind of made it better. Or we kind of figured out the, the new moves or the, the, you know, the other things that we can add or include. But, but I don't think that's the case at all. If you go all the way back into Genesis, and we're going to skim through this real fast, and in creation, God makes man and woman. He says, let us create man and woman in our image. And it says, he says he created them male and female. So he created them differently, right? And then he, it says he blesses them. And then he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. I think what he, and then he says, and everything I've made is good. So I think what, what we can see is God created sexuality, God created sex, and I think because he blessed them and then told them to be fruitful and multiply, he actually designed sex to be pleasurable as well. So, the next thing that we see about in creation is in Genesis chapter 2, and he gives the kind of the, the place for sex. He says, the two will leave their mother and father, and then they will become one. And so what happens is, is God creates sex, God creates sexuality, and then the two will become one inside of marriage. And then he says, and they were naked and they felt no shame. And so I think if we really look back into creation, man and woman, that was by design. Reproduction was by design. Being together as one for a marriage, for as a husband and wife, was by design. Not having shame inside sex and sexuality is from God. It's by design. So, God made sexuality, God made sexual desire. It's not just for making babies. Then the fall happens, right? So God creates everything, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and then God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what happens? There's this ripple effect, and now they feel shame, and they feel like hiding, and they want to be covered, and so they make themselves little things to cover themselves. And then they, they want to hide from each other. They want to hide from God. And I think really this is why for us it is hard to imagine that this is in the Bible is because we're coming at it from the after the fall. But if we really understand and think through the, the premise of that God created sex and he created it to be a beautiful, wonderful, awesome thing in marriage. So that's where we're, um, that's where we're at. That's where we're headed. Um, we got the good starting point. Um, it should not be shocking to us that this is in the Bible. So, if you have a Bible, you can flip open Song of Solomon chapter 4. We're going to read all of chapter 4 and then one verse into chapter 5. This is what the Bible says. He's speaking in, to start this, and he says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. And not one among them has lost its young. 
Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang thousands of shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me, my bride, from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana and from the peak of Shanir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart. With one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruits, henna and nard, with nard, nard with saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the choice spices. Your garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. And she speaks and she says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat of its choice fruits. He speaks and he says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And the others say, eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Let's pray. God, I... Um, I pray that you really help us to understand what in the world is happening here. And I pray that you'll help us to apply that to marriage. I pray that you'll help us to apply it to dating. And I pray that you will help us apply it to our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do two things. We're going to talk about the man. We're going to talk about the woman, okay? We're going to give one big overarching thing that you see about this guy, one big overarching thing that you see about this woman, okay? It's going to get awkward, but we're going to make it through it, I think, I hope. I'll make it through. Anybody, anybody this week want to trade places? Anybody want to come up here and speak? Um, what do we see about the man? The first thing, the biggest thing I think that you see about this guy as he and his wife now go into their hotel room is that he showers her with praise. He is absolutely showering her with praise. He's showering her with praise about her body is how it starts. Verses one through five, he says, um, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. He says, your eyes are like doves. What color are doves? They're white, right? And they flap their wings, right? And so I think what he's, he's looking at her eyes and he's seeing like the whites of her eyes and he's seeing as she's like, you know, kind of blinking, doing that little flirtatious blink to him. As she's doing that, it reminds him of doves flapping their wings. And he says, your eyes are like doves. Um, some of this sounds weird. We don't get because the culture's so different, but he says, your hair looks like goats. Again, we talked about that last week. That doesn't work. I've tried it. Um, <laughs> 
Then this one sounds more like it's from Kentucky. He says, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze. Okay, so baby sheep, their, their old hair gets kind of dirty because of all, the, all of the dirt around. But when you shave them, their, their, their fur is like, or wool, what, what would you call it? We'll call it wool, it's, it's really white. So he's saying, your teeth are white. And then he says, and none of them have lost its young. He's saying, hey, baby, you got all your teeth. <laughs> like, but isn't that good, you know? If you think about it, there probably was a lot of girls that didn't around that time, right? I mean, I don't know if they had toothbrush and toothpaste and any of that business. I don't think they had dentists. And so he's like, babe, you look good because you got all your teeth. Uh, if any of you don't have all your teeth, I, I apologize. But he says... He says, baby, you look good. You got all your teeth. I like that. And then he says, your lips are like scarlet, like, like a scarlet thread. Do you notice what he's doing, though? He's starting up here. He's not starting here. He's starting at the top. And he's noticing her. And, and it seems like he's standing at a distance. And he's commenting and he's, he's praising her. He's showering her with praise about her body. He says, your, your eyes, your hair, your teeth, your mouth. And then he says, your cheeks looks like pomegranates. So pomegranates are, are kind of reddish. She's still got her veil on. And he says, behind your veil, I can see your cheeks are getting rosy. You know, they're getting rosy because it's hot in their room, because she's a little nervous, she's a little excited. I don't know, but her cheeks are getting a little bit red. Is she embarrassed? She might be, am I? I might be. Um, my cheeks might be getting um, red like pomegranates as well. And then he says, your neck is like power. Okay, so I don't think he's saying, hey, babe, you look like a giraffe. You got a really long neck. Your hair looks like goat, you look like a giraffe, and you got all your teeth. I mean, she's beautiful, isn't she? But he's saying that. I think what he's actually doing is he's switching gears here, and he's not just praising her for her body. He begins to praise her for her character. Have you ever noticed somebody who, um, who really, like, struggles with a lot of things? What do you see in them? They're just kind of droopy. And he's saying, your neck's like a tower. I think he's saying, you have character. You are a woman. The Bible says a woman of noble character, who can find? Guess what, guys? It is hard to find a woman of noble character. So if you got one, you need to be very happy. But he says, a woman of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. I think what he's saying to her is, is I like your body, but I love your character. He's saying your neck is like a tower. Also, think about a stiff-necked person. And I think what he's saying is you're not a stiff-necked person. You're not um, always wanting to be right. You're not trying to control everything. He's saying, hey, I don't want to see any of this, okay? I just saw a couple of these, elbow and spouses, none of that, right? You're going to get yourselves in trouble. But they're in the bedroom, right? And he's saying your eyes, he's saying your mouth, your hair, your, your neck. And then he says your breasts, are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Okay, I told my wife what I believe is being said here, and she said, yeah, you can't say that. <laughs> um, so I challenge you to study what he's saying, but I I'll tell you this, without getting too descriptive and get myself in trouble, he, he's, he's looking at them, okay? But... He's speaking of them from a distance. 
And we know that because when, he, when she follows him, to, to, when he's going to go shepherd his flock, when, he, when, he, when she follows him, she says that he shepherds the flock, and from that area, he can see the lilies. Okay, so when he's actually shepherding his flock, he can see from a distance these beautiful flowers, and it's a place that he wants to go and to be because it's beautiful, right? So what he is saying is the look of them is good, and he's saying, I desire for them, and he's also speaking to his proximity. He's standing at a distance from her. He's not running in, jumping, grabbing, groping. He is standing at a distance, admiring. Speaking of showering her with praise about her body. Now, the, the last thing about this breast part, um, if you remember at the beginning, she says, she kind of shows that she's got some security issues, and she says, I, um, I'm dark. I've gotten sunburned. And I don't feel beautiful because I've gotten sunburned. That's what she says in the, in the previous chapter. So you know what he's doing here? He's saying this part of you is not sunburned. That's kind of what he's describing when he's talking about the, the kind of the colors of what he's talking about. He's saying this part of you has not been seen by the world. And that is awesome. So that's what he's saying to her. He's, he's showering her with praise about her body. He's showering her with praise about her character. And then he says this in verse 6. He says, Until the day breathes and shadows flee, I will go to the mountains of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. What in the world does he mean? Earlier in the book, she says that she's, lay, she's laying in bed and she's dreaming about her awesome, cute guy like most of you girls do about your guys. You're sitting there dreaming about how, how amazing and wonderful he is, right? Is that what happens? And she, and she has a sachet of myrrh, okay? So what that means is she's got like this little perfume bottle on a necklace that she wears right here. And she says, um, back in chapter 1, verse 13, she says, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. okay. Fast forward, what he is saying to her is he's saying, I want to lay between your breasts. That's what he's saying. But he's also remembered what she has said before. He is showing her, when you speak, I listen. Guys, do we listen? I can tell you this. Sarah will say to me, do you remember that such and such? And I'll be like, well, we never talked about that. And she's like, yeah, we did. I don't think so. She's like, yeah, we did. In fact, it was this day, this time, and this is what was going on, and you were watching TV, and I could tell you were tuning the TV, and I knew you weren't going to remember, so I told you twice. I'm like, I don't think that happened. <laughs> but this guy is listening to her. He's showering her with praise about her body, about her character, and he says, I want to be with you all night. Um, he goes on, and in verse 8, he says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride, come with me. And then he says, um, from the dens of the lions. You know what he's saying? He's showering her with the fact that he wants to protect her. He's like, I want to do whatever I can to protect you, to make you feel safe. I think that there are times where men, we can be very guilty of making our wife or a girl that we were dating not feel safe in the bedroom. And he's saying to her, I want to protect you, even here, especially here. He's not crossing any lines. He's not pushing, challenging, trying. He's, he is patient. 
and he is still standing at a distance. He's showering her with praise for her body, for her character. He's, he's showering her with the, his protection. Nine and, verse 9 and 10, he says, my, you have captivated my heart. He's showering her with his love. Being captivated means like you are, you are withheld, you are stuck, like you are in prison. And he's saying, I am like in prison with how bad I love you, with how much I love you and want to give myself to you. He's showering her with praise. He also um, begins showering her with kisses. How do we know that? Well, verse 11 your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. It takes a little bit of effort to figure out what taste is under her tongue. I'm looking down for a reason. Um, here's the thing, guys. He's been doing this type of thing from the very beginning. He's been showering her with praise about her body from the beginning. He's been showering her with praise about her character. He's been providing his protection. Even when he's preparing to marry her, he has 60 armed guards coming down the aisle with him. He's wanting to show her, look, I will protect you. I will keep you safe. I will care for you. I will love you. And he's been doing that since the day that they started. Um, now, he wasn't showering her with kisses at the beginning, but she was desiring it. In verse, chapter 1, verse 2, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for his love is better than wine. So this guy is showering her with praise. He's listening to her. He's remembering the things that she's talking about. I think women, probably one of their number one complaints about us as guys is that we don't listen. We don't know them. And this guy knows her. He listens to her. He's showering her with praise. It goes on, verse 12. Your garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. You know what he's doing? He's praising her for her virginity. He's saying, there have been men that probably have attempted to be with you and you have not let that happen. And he's saying to her, thank you so much for this gift that you are giving me. It's this beautiful picture. Now, now I'm going to say a couple things, and I don't want this, I, I want to make sure that I'm careful to, to say what I think that the Lord wants me to say, but I also don't lay it on too heavy that it just makes people feel super condemned. But I can tell you this, for most couples, there will be a day and a time, and so if you're single, there will probably be a day and a time where you and your future spouse sit down and you share about your sexual past. They'll want to know. And that can be the hardest conversation you have ever had where you are filled with shame. Or it can be a beautiful moment. Now, Sarah and I, you, you, we, I said this last week, we, we did not live the way that God had called us to live prior to meeting each other. Sarah had had a child out of wedlock. So clearly, we had not lived in a type of way individually before we met each other. But you know what happened? Something happened. And if you remember when we talked about it in, earlier in the book, she's talking about how she's sitting in his shadow. That is hard to say. She's sitting <laughs> in his shadow. I, was, I almost felt a slip. That would be bad. So, there she is, okay, in the shadow. That's the way we'll say it. 
I, I believe that we, as followers of Christ, we can sit in his shadow, and this can be an area of our life that becomes renewed. She says when she's there in his shadow, she says, sustain me with raisins, refresh me. If you are single, and there, this is not something that can happen on your, on your uh, first night with your wife, for you or for her, I truly believe that God wants people to recommit that part of their life to him. And I can tell you this, that Sarah and I, we did not live the way that God would have called us to before we met. Once we met, we tried our best to, and I think that we did a pretty good job in that area. And you know what? When we were able to be together on our honeymoon, not to get too personal here, but it was able to be beautiful. And we were able to feel pure and holy and blameless before the Lord. And it was this wonderful thing. Now, um, guys, how many of your wives cannot hear your, your praise of her giving the virginity because you pushed to have it sooner than that night? Guys, if that is you, have you ever flat out truly told her you are sorry? I bet that there are women, even in this room, that there is still some anger, bitterness, or frustration because of it. Maybe it wasn't that you went all the way, but maybe you, you pushed it a little bit more than she wanted to. Have you ever asked for forgiveness for that? Now, I believe that God wants to renew people in this and to, to not make people feel uh, burdened down with shame and with regret, and, but he wants to say, guess what? Today's a new day. Um, and I can tell you from experience, the longer you go in that repented form, the more beautiful that night is. So this guy's listening to his wife. He's shadow showering her with praise about her body, about her character. He's giving her his love. He's showering her with kisses. He's, he's doing all, he's showering her about her virginity. Um, he's not running in, jumping on her. It appears to me that he does not get close enough to her until you're into verse 11 when he's kissing her. This guy is going slow. I've heard it said that um, in the area of sex, um, men are like microwaves. They can warm up with one touch. Women are like crock pots. Got to turn that thing on, let it sit all day. <laughs> and just, it just might get warm enough to bake some chicken by the end of the day. <laughs> I, I didn't mean it the way that I think it made me sound, but... Okay. So that's what we see about the guy. The guy is showering her with praise. He's patient. He's not running in, grabbing things. He's patient. Let's look at her. Okay, he's saying that her hair looks like goats. Why? He's saying it looks like goats coming down a mountain. In this time period, women wore their hair up. And to take your hair down was to, to kind of um, like 
begin undressing in front of somebody. So remember when, when, when in the New Testament, when Mary comes in to wash Jesus' feet, she takes her hair down, and they say, this woman's a prostitute. Because women just don't take their hair down in front of men. That's not culturally acceptable. So what's happening in this moment, and why, I can, why we can see that he's standing at a distance from her, she's taking her hair down. This dude has probably never seen her hair down. And he's like, he doesn't even know what to compare it to. He's so like, yeah. So he's like, your hair looks like goats. Guys, have you ever, like, you got so excited, you, you want to say something, you say something totally wrong, and, and you just, oh, why did I say that? That sounds horrible. But he, he might have done that. He might have thought that was bad to say. But he says, but he's commenting about the fact, like, your hair is, like, falling down a mountain because you're taking your hair down for me. I believe that this woman is undressing for him. She is undressing herself for him. Do you know the vulnerability that that has to take? But this guy has showered her with praise all through their dating relationship. He has helped her see that the areas of herself that she doesn't like or that she's self-conscious about, that she has no reason to worry about those things. He has showed her that he loves her, he accepts her, and, and he has tried to help her see herself through his eyes. And so now, here she is, she's taking her hair down, and she is undressing for him. This woman is not passive. I think when we read this, this guy talks a lot. Guys typically don't talk much, but here, he's talking a lot. And, but if you look back, here are the things that she has said in the past. She said, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Oh, she says, oh, baby, where do you pasture? It doesn't say that exactly, but it's kind of what she says. She's kind of saying like, hey, can you take me to work with you so I can watch how cute you look when you get all hot and sweaty when you're taking care of all these animals? And so she goes with him, and she says, my, um, my man is like a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. She says that she wants to sit in his shadow. She dreams of going out after him. She, she falls asleep. And she can't find her man in her dream. And it says that she seeks him in chapter 3. She sought him. I sought him to seek him. I sought him. Have you seen him? She's looking for him. This woman, in all of up until today, has seemed like she just is, wants this guy. and She wants to be with him in every type of way. And now we, we, I think what we can do is we can read this text and think that she's just like passive, just kind of just hanging out like, like a deer in headlights, like not sure what to do, so she's just hanging out. I don't think when he says that her breasts look like fawns, he's saying that you look like a deer in headlights. This woman is not passive in this area. And she's taking her hair down, she's undressing for him, and then he says, hey, I want to protect you, I want you to come away with me, and so she goes away with him. She's not being passive. She's kissing him back. Um, how do we know that? Because you can't figure out under the tongue unless the tongue's moving. Um, she's not passive. She, in verse 11, the garments are fragrant. She has, like, made her clothes smell good. This woman wants what this guy smells, tastes, touch, hears to be amazing. This woman wants to knock his socks off. But why is that? Because of how he's treated her this whole time. I think it's easy for us guys to, to we're like, yeah, this is what we want, yeah. Yeah. 
hey, hey, why don't you read this? Uh, but the thing is, is the reason that she's like this is because how he's treated her. So, then, um, in verse 16, excuse me, in, in, yeah, in verse 16, she says, let me pause, all throughout this, she is referred to her body as a garden, her garden, okay? Now she says, let my beloved come to his garden, we think because she only speaks one verse that she's passive, but she is not passive. She is calling her body his. She's saying, you can have me. <laughs> he has waited patiently at a distance. He's gone slow. He's kissed her. But this woman was not passive. And she says, you may have me. She invites him in. This is, whew. Their dating relationship had to have played an amazingly huge part for this to look like this. I guarantee that if this woman felt like her guy was interested in her just for one thing, she's not going to act like this. I guarantee that if she feels like he's groping and all, she's not going to act like this. I, I guarantee that if she has, has, has images about herself that are not true and she has self-esteem issues, I guarantee this is not what's happening. But this guy has showed her, I am so in love with you. I think what it really is is that she knows she is the only one. She doesn't question, it, when I'm not around, is he looking at stuff on his phone? She's not questioning that. Partly because they didn't have a phone back then. But she's not questioning, does he look at all other women like this? She knows she is the one. I think that in the same way we talked about in dating can be so casual rather than exclusive. I think in marriage it can be casual rather than exclusive. And women worry about what are their guys looking at. And on the flip side, there are oftentimes, I, I have heard many of a, a, a Christian woman, whether it's them saying this in a, in a room where I can overhear what they're saying or whether it's my wife not saying names, it's not like she said, this person told me this, but saying I was with a group of women and a woman said this. And, and women can, married Christian women can make sound, sex sound like it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I don't want him anywhere. I don't even want to undress in front of him because he's going to come running in. And, or, like, or maybe they'll say like, you know what? I can tell when my husband's kind of wanting something to look that way because man, he starts giving me lots of compliments. No compliments for a couple days, weeks, and all of a sudden, hey, baby, you look good. Well, I know why he's saying that. She's not wondering, are his compliments, is his showering of praise to get something in return? She knows this guy loves her, and so she's not passive. The thing that we see about this is that the guy showers her with praise, and the woman is not passive at all goes back into their dating relationships. And as we said from the very beginning, there are two ways we can interpret this book. One, it's a guy and a girl that want each other. The second way is this is Christ in the church. Now, it's difficult to imagine this as Christ in the church because it seems so sexual. So take that totally out of it. What is this text about? 
This is a guy who wanted to be with this woman so badly that he got out of his comfort zone. He pursued her. He treats her beautifully. He wants to be with her all night and all of their lives. Does that sound like anything else? This text is to give us wisdom in the area of sex, sexuality, husbands and wives, marriage, dating. But this text points to Jesus. There's another one who, who loves and who showers his people with praise. It's Jesus. There's one who wanted to be with us as his people, as his church, so badly that he left the comforts of heaven. I was reading this morning, and in John 17, verse 5, Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Jesus is with God in the very beginning in glory, and he leaves glory to come here for a bunch of stupid people. He doesn't just want to be with us for the night. He wants to be with us for all of eternity. He died on our cross so that we could, our sins could be forgiven so that we could be in a relationship with him and we could be with him forever. This groom in this text should point us to a far better groom, and it's Jesus. But I think it should also do something else. It should point us to this woman. This woman, she's not passive. This guy showers her with praise. Jesus showers us with praise. This guy does not want a passive woman. And guess what? Jesus does not want a passive church. He wants to be with us all night, all eternity. He wants us to have a life, an abundant life. And guess what? When we see a love like that, how should we respond? How does she respond when she sees a love like that? She's not passive and she's willing to undress herself before him. We should be willing to undress ourselves before the Lord, to be open and real about what's going on in our hearts. He already knows it. If we're mad at the Lord, we should be able to say that. He desires that we as a church would not be passive, that we would be laid bare before him. So he's showering her with love and with praise, and she responds by saying, you are my one and only. We as the church should see in this text that, that we, as God's people, we should respond to that great love by laying our bodies down for him. If God called you to move to a place that's uncomfortable, would you be willing to do it? If God calls you, just even in the area of purity, to be pure, are you willing? If we see the love that Jesus has for us, why wouldn't we? We should just respond with that of him being the one, him being the only and laying our lives down before him. What about if, if craziness happens and persecution comes and someone says, deny your faith or you're getting shot in the head? Would we be willing to say yes? Would we, would, would we lay our bodies down because of this great love? Would we say, Jesus, you, my body is yours? What about in our marriages? Would we lay our bodies down and we would, would we really serve and love our wives, love our husbands? This text, I think, is here to give us 
wisdom in the area of sex, sexuality, and it's to give us wisdom in Jesus' love and pursuit of his people. How do we respond to a love like that? I want to end with this. When he's describing her body and praising her for her body, he mentions seven parts of the body. In Jewish culture, the number seven is like perfection because God created everything in seven days. And so if the number seven is this perfect thing, right? And so when he's praising her about seven things, he's saying to her, you are perfect. When he's praising her about her character, he also says to her, in you there is no flaw. And that word for flaw goes all the way back to when you would sacrifice an animal, you would need to have one that was without blemish. This guy, when he's showering her with praise, he's saying, in you there is no flaw. You are perfect. For those of us who are in Christ, who have a relationship with the Lord, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have been forgiven and redeemed and made perfect. And that is why when Jesus looks upon us, he can see us as the beautiful bride that we so often aren't. But this text, I think, should help us to see, yes, about a husband and wife, yes, about marriage, yes, about sex. We should learn all those things from it, but we also also should see that Jesus has a deep and profound love for his people. And I believe that he wants to shower us with his praise. And through that, he desires that we would respond by not being a passive church. Let's pray. God, I admit that I am so often, as I read this, amazed that you put this in here. But God, I'm also so thankful. God, I know that I, as a husband, need to, 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 to really see this. Uh, and I know that there are husbands in this room. That they are probably very guilty of doing the exact opposite of what this man does. I pray that you would help them to come to you for forgiveness. I pray that you'd help them to come to you for the challenge to, to be what it is that you have given them the strength to be. And, and God, I, I'm sure that there are women in this room that would say, that is not me. God, I, I know that a man does not want a passive wife. But God, more than that, I know that Jesus does not want a passive church. So God, I pray that you would help us to be the people that you have called us to be. I pray for marriages in this room. I, I truly believe oftentimes that struggle in the area of sex and a marriage points to much, much deeper things. So God, I pray for couples throughout this room that if their marriages are not right, that you would help them to deny themselves, to put their focus upon you, and that through that, you would do miracle in their relationship with each other. And God, more than that, I pray that we, as a church, would be willing to do what this woman did and to seek out this guy, to go after him. God, help us to not be a passive church that wants to absolutely run after Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.